Okay, I need you guys to do something for me for about the next half an hour. Just hold your breath, because it's really hot in here right now. Uh, again, th- this is our last week of the Song of Solomon, and so uh, next week the, the decorations are going to be changing, and uh, we might even get a curtain back up here again, which will probably make the room cooler, because the sun hits that and just heats. So it, it's it's got to be like 100 degrees right where John's base is. And he's, he, didn't like, he, he didn't like a whole lot of, you know... Uh, stuff to sweat off there and he's like oh my goodness i'm so hot he didn't do this i did but you know, you know we don't want him to lose anymore right karen you can't lose any more weight right karen go. right there you go okay see not allowed there you go uh so again th- this is our last week of the song of solomon uh, we're going to wrap this thing up after we're done uh with with a wedding uh so at, at the at after i'm done with the message we're going to do the first song is, is communion we don't want to rush you as you reflect and allow god to do great works of genius in your heart but hurry it up, okay, because we, <laughs> we're going to do one song, we're going to do the wedding, and then you're invited to hang out with them. I think they made all you guys cupcakes, it's, it's really cool. Again, uh, so next week some of the decorations will be, will be changing, some of you are really excited about that, some of you will be really sad, and you know, if you, if you really like them, you can talk to like Terry and Jessa and stuff, Jessa, raise your hand back there. She's back there, they, they, they're really kind of the brainchilds behind all this, so I think it's kind of cool. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an application called Uversion. And on this application, you click on Live. It will bring us up by GPS. And then you'll actually get all the sermon notes, the questions, and all the stuff that goes along with the message and all your take-home questions as well. So why don't you guys stand me reading to God's Word. We will just jump into this. I'm going to yell at you guys this morning. I didn't know I was going to be this serious, but apparently I'm... Serious this morning. The Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. And he says, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. And she responds, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who take all that we have learned through the Song of Solomon and it would be applied to our lives so that you gain much glory and your people live in much joy. We ask that we would begin to reflect the redeemed humanity that we are to be so that the world knows how they are supposed to live. Amen. Have a seat. So again, this is our last week of the Song of Solomon. Uh, It's going to be unique and different. Hopefully we'll tie this whole thing together in a way that makes sense. And some of you, again, are very excited because next week you'll get back to normal Bible. Maybe not next week. Maybe the week after next week. Get back to normal Bible stuff. Uh, some of you maybe are sad to see it go because maybe you had some, an- some questions about sexuality or the Bible, relationships that were not answered during the Song of Solomon series. If that's you, uh, you can come and talk to Eric or I or, or anybody and ask us uh, those questions that you have. If you're a little embarrassed about asking some of those questions out loud, you can email us. Uh, you send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at ourelement.org. And then we will answer those questions and hopefully send them back to you. And if you want to remain anonymous, we'll even let you remain anonymous because we're really nice like that. Now, the big idea for the Song of Solomon, can you put it on the back screen, by the way? The big idea for the Song of Solomon uh, has been serve your spouse. Serve your spouse. But in the Song of Solomon, a lot of that comes down to different, way, different sexual issues. Now, we wanted to tell you from the very beginning of this whole thing that sex is not God. Yes, our culture uh, gives their money to it. They worship the pictures in magazine. But if, but if you are a believer, for you, God is God. Okay, it is not sex, nothing else. But because people have worshipped sex as a god in our culture, there's been a severe overreaction to that where people come back and they say, well, sex is dirty. 
And sex is not dirty. It is not. What sex is, is sex is a gift. It is given by God to his people to steward, to enjoy, to protect in the context of marriage, to share frequently. It is to be treasured and saved and cultivated in marriage. But this is where we as believers come into this, and we have a place where we must live in tension with this. And we live in tension with everything. Your entertainment, what you watch on TV, or what movies you go see, there's tension between what you see and then what you shouldn't see. This, this goes to food. This goes with your money and how you spend it. It goes to alcohol. It goes to sexuality. God has created all of these good things. And what humanity tends to do is run the opposite direction that God has intended for these things, and, and it takes and it ruins them. But God calls us not to just get rid of those things, but to live in, as redeemed humanity to bring those things back to how they were meant to be. God calls us to be holy, to be different, that we are a people to take the good gifts that he has given and use them correctly. Use them correctly. So in the Song of Solomon, sex and love are viewed as gifts that the couple give to one another. So in ending the Song of Solomon, I need to talk to you guys a little bit about tension. We're going to talk about angels and animals in this. Now, anybody ever been to the zoo? Okay, uh, I, the zoo's kind of cool sometimes. Sometimes I'll tell you one of the, I'm not trying to be crass, but one of the things that I really hate about the zoo sometimes, doesn't matter what cage, where it's the monkey cage or the, or the wolf cage, whatever it is, at some point you walk through the zoo, animals just do it, like right in front of you. And it's like, it's like, it's like a car crash. You don't want to look, but you can't look. You're like, it could be just me, but I'm like, you know, just and, and this is what animals do. It's biological need. It's very up close. It's very raw. It's very primal. And you can't help but notice how strong that is. And these animals, they're going to mate because it's in their DNA. It's in their blood. It's in their environment. They don't lie out in the field and think, oh, I just really want to know that you love me for more than my body. Right? Animals don't do that at all. They aren't discussing how to make the world a better place. One isn't saying to the other one, I just don't feel like you're as committed to me as I am to you. You know, animals don't do that. It is pure instinct. It is no higher plane. There's no greater cause. There's no transcendent purpose in it. Now, if you were to go and you were to watch MTV sometime in the spring, and there's a break, and the spring break, whether it's Daytona Beach or Cancun, wherever the spot is that year, gets invaded by thousands of college students from all over the country. They drink large amounts of alcohol, and they end up doing a lot of stupid things in the middle of that. It's kind of like the zoo a little bit. You know? The vibe, though, for spring break is that regardless of what year it is, what location, you know, what the weather's like, this is your week, and you're going to let yourself go. You're going to lose yourself. You're going to give in to all the cravings and desires and urges you have because whatever happens in Choose Your City stays in said city, Vegas, okay? There comes this stupid idea that if it feels good, it takes precedence over everything else, including our judgment. And so these stories begin with words when people come home like, oh, I can't believe I dot, dot, dot. Oh, we totally lost our minds and we blank. It was so out of control that I, the next morning I couldn't put my wallet or my pants and my head was stuck in the toilet because I blank. You know, and these scenes, they're not just about partying. They're not about people just having a good time and hooking up with someone. They actually raise questions about what it really means to be fully human. Because the temptation in these times is to ignore your conscience, any sense of higher purpose, and you sacrifice what it means to be human, which leads people to act much like animals. 
And the question then comes, so are we just the sum of our urges? And this is why it really bothers me when, when I watch like National Geographic or something like that and they, and they try and show, well, these are the animals. This is what they do. And, and we look at humanity and this is why humans do this because the animals, I'm like, I'm like, you can't compare the two. Animals eat their own poop and lick themselves. And we never look at anybody and say, oh, well, that's normal if somebody does it, right? We don't. We think that there's something wrong with that. We are not like animals. God did not create us to be animals. He created us to be human beings. And people buy into this idea that, oh, we're just like animals. They throw words around like they're a party animal. When a couple get together, they say, oh, well, they attacked each other. As if there's these incredibly strong forces and they're deep down inside and they're totally repressed. And maybe for a few days, you're just going to let those things out and take over. And when you give the range, you have no idea what's going to happen. Now, if you have a Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Corinthian church was in the middle of a city that had tens of thousands of temple prostitutes. They came out of a culture that essentially said church equals sex. Now, I know that's a, some people think that's a great evangelism strategy. We will never use it. Okay, it's not going to happen here. But there's a phrase in the ancient Greek world that summed up the understanding of what they thought it meant to be human. And they would say this. They would say food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And they thought and understood that a person was a collection of physical needs. And so if you're hungry, there's food. If you're tired, there's sleep. And they concluded that sex is just like food. So when a man was hungry, he would go to the temple prostitute, and he would say, food for the stomach. Now, if you're married, I don't recommend you approach your wife like that and go, food for the stomach, woman, me, you. It's, well, unless you're crazy. But, okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, Paul addresses this issue. And he quotes from their culture and he says this, all things are lawful for me. But then he responds and he says, but not all things are helpful. Then he quotes again, all things are lawful for me. Then he, quote, then he responds, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And then he uses their quote, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And then he responds and says, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Then he confronts his audience with the challenge in verse 18 he says so flee from sexual immorality every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god you are not your own for you are bought with a price so glorify god in your body now, I know you probably don't see it, but your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is very provocative language in that day because a temple for them was a holy place. It was a place for them that the gods dwelled, a place where heaven and earth came together. And Paul speaks into their culture and uses their imagery to challenge them that a human being is not just a collection of urges and needs, but a human being is meant to be a person that God resides in when our lives are redeemed by Jesus Christ. What he's trying to do is elevate their thinking to change their perspective so they have a higher view than they had before, especially what it means to be redeemed and saved and call yourself a Christian. But even more broadly for the entire culture, what it meant to truly just be made in the image of God. Now, the stomach for food perspective continues dominant in our world to this day. And the problem, I think, is that it's rooted in a very low view of how God made people. Because the assumption behind it is that people are going to have sex because they just can't help themselves. And the perspective in our culture today is presented as freedom. Oh, it's total freedom to do whatever you want. But it's actually a form of slavery because it views people simply as animals. It teaches you that people cannot transcend their physical dimensions of their existence. And so a lot of people go around, they live with a low-grade sense of despair all the time. They think that they're helpless, that it's simply how it is. And I think nowhere is this chronic sense of despair more visible than sex education curriculums in school. Because most of them are based on kids, or on the premise that kids are just going to do it anyway and we can't do anything about it. Because if you deconstruct that, what you get is a loss of hope. 
they feel like there's no hope whatsoever. I mean, who decided that kids or anybody else for that matter are unable to abstain? You get to a lot of settings and abstinence programs that are laughed at. So our campaigns where students get together and say, well, we're going to wait till we're married. Those things get laughed at. I don't know if you've ever watched a television show or read in a magazine where they talk about these type of campaigns. Everyone you read, they're at least subtly mocked in all of these. And people who organize these campaigns, they treat them as people from a far-off land that doesn't exist anymore. They're just a little weird. And the criticism of the sexist for marriage view is usually presented as the voice of realism. Are people really capable of restraint? But that is not realism. That is the voice of despair. It's a voice that says, well, aren't we really just animals? And what you see through the Song of Solomon, throughout all of the scriptures, is the answer is resounding, no, you are not just animals. God made you to be so much more. But because people have responded to sex like animals, then usually you get hyper-religious people who take the exact opposite view. And they run the other direction. They say, well, we're going to get rid of all physicality. We're just going to be very spiritual people. We're going to be monks. We're going to live on a hill. We're not going to talk to anybody. We're going to surround ourselves with people just like us. We're not really going to reach out to anybody. And it becomes this thing where people can veer towards an animal impulse, and it's bad. But people who veer towards this angel impulse on the other side, it can be just as destructive. They both are destructive. We live, we're supposed to live in tension. If the animal impulse is to give all of your cravings rule over your life, the angel impulse is just the opposite. It's to deny the physical that God made us to be. And denying the physical is a failure to acknowledge that your sexuality, God made us male and female, that sexuality is what also makes you human as well. Many parents are really afraid to talk to their kids about sex. That's why we did proper sex ed last week and what we talked about and what true love should be taught. I have had a lot of young ladies in my office before I, when I do premarital counseling for them. And they get to a place where we talk about sex and, and they turn red and they're like, ah, don't talk to me now. And, and the guy's like, hee, 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 you know, because no one talks to them about these things. Many parents and churches do not do their kids a service by saying sex is a wonderful and beautiful thing. But you know, you make sure you give this to the one you love. I mean, think about a man and a woman that, who, who just got married and they've been raised in this perspective. And so they get married and, and the girl's trying to figure out what it means to be true to her husband, yet, yet she's never understood that her physical and her spiritual are both integral to who she is. And so she's been told that sex is bad, sex is nasty, sex is wrong, you save it for the one you love. You know, she's been told all these things her entire life and then she gets married and she struggles with feelings of not wanting to have sex with him or not being able to enjoy it. So she's got a million confusing things going on in her head about sexuality and obligation and love and her and him and, and it. And instead of talking about it, she continues to stuff it inside because that's just what you do. We, we don't talk about this. Then you have the husband on their side and he's got all kinds of images and pictures and fragments of stories that float around in his head about what a woman is supposed to do and a woman is supposed to be. And he's just married a woman, and she's supposed to do these things for him, perform a certain way, and she doesn't have a full body wax, so there's got to be something wrong, she's not delivering. And his temptation is to deal with his frustration in all sorts of ways that will only drive the two of them farther and farther apart. Denying it, stuffing these things, repressing these things never work because it's a failure to acknowledge what is central to being human that God made us physical and spiritual creatures. You can pretend you're angels, but you're not. A couple like this has to talk about the things they're experiencing and the feelings that they're having because if they don't, they will start a long, slow drift apart. And that is why we did the Song of Solomon. If you're new, if you missed any of it, I, I would recommend you go to our website, ourelement.org, download it all, the notes, and listen to it. it it's, I, I don't hammer on you as much as I'm doing right now. Actually, that's a, a lot of it's a lot of fun. It's serious, but, but it's a lot of fun. 
Angels, Blaise Pascal once said this. He said, man is neither angel nor beast. And the misfortune is that he who would act the angel acts the beast. See, these are two extremes, denying our sexuality or being driven by our sexuality. And then there's the vast space in between. Angels are animals. We are meant to live in tension. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. First book, first chapter, really easy to find, okay, in your Bible. All right. uh, this is the creation account of, of animals and, and humans. And what you'll see here is that God creates animals before he creates humans. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 23. If you have a smartphone, you're already there. See, it's amazing. Genesis 1, 23, it says, And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god made man in his own image and the image of god he created him male and female he created them do you see the difference in how god created animals and then how he makes humans the difference is humanity is made in god's image we have a spiritual dimension to us that animals do not have and the writer of genesis wants you to see the distinction of what it means to be human versus what it means to be an animal I mean, I, I've never seen a dog. My dog never is really concerned about that its life's just not going anywhere. My dog's concerned about, are you going to fill the ball? Are you going to feed me food? Where do I pee? That, that, that's all she's really concerned about. I, our cat doesn't really reflect. It sleeps all day and, and eats and then throws up. It's kind of what it does. Horses, you know, you never seen, oh, well, that horse isn't centered. What's wrong with that horse? We don't think about that because animals have a physical body, but they don't have a spirit in the same way that you and I do. In Job 38, verses 4 through 7, God creates the world, and it says, And all the sons of God, the angels, shouted for joy. So they're there before creation. He, uh, Hebrews 1.14 says an angel is a spirit. Luke 24.39, Jesus rises from the dead, and he says, See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. A spirit is a being with no body, no physical essence. So marriage and sex and procreation simply are not part of their makeup. So if an animal has a physical body but not a spirit the way you and I do, an angel is a being with a spirit but without a body like you and I do. And when we deny the spiritual dimension of our existence, we end up living like animals. And when we deny the physical dimension of our existence, we end up trying to live like angels. And both are destructive because God made us to be human. We are different from everything else. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy. It's in the New Testament. In the first century, uh, in the area of Asia Minor, there's a city called Ephesus. There's a religious group in Ephesus that had some views because they were worried about sexuality. So they had some views in this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul, again, says this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons uh, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences have been seared. So what are these deceitful spirits teaching, these teachings of demons whose consciences have been seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now, if you're a dope-smoking hippie, this has nothing to do with pot, so stop using it for that, all right? It has nothing to do with your pot, all right? This group in Ephesus observed, sex can get you into all sorts of trouble. And we would agree with that, right? 
Yes? Okay. Okay, so their conclusion was sex is so dangerous, we should avoid it altogether. But to avoid sex, what you have to do is avoid romance and affection, everything that comes with that, and especially you have to get rid of marriage altogether. So this religious group forbids their people to marry. They also had a similar practice in regard to food. There were foods sold in the markets of the cities that had been offered to local gods and local temples for their worship. So the leaders of this religion decided that if something had been offered to a god they didn't believe in, well, they just wouldn't eat it. Their response, instead of living in Titian, was to make lists of things you were supposed to do and couldn't do. Now, we do this today. We do this with music, what music, music you can listen to, what music you can't. We do it with, with alcohol and clothing and jewelry and, and makeup and on and on and on. We do this all the time. But do you see the problem in that type of religion? Anytime something gets ethically complicated, anytime the waters get a little bit murky, anytime something is to be held in tension, they simply avoided the issue altogether. And so this is where Paul comes in, and he's talking to the true Christians, and he addresses them in this letter. And what he says is he warns them against people who forbid those to marry and to abstain from certain foods, telling them that God created these things to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And Paul's point is brilliant because he makes a distinction between the inherent good of something and the abuse of it. People have seriously distorted the good gift that sex is. They have offered food to these gods that lead people into destructive ways of living. That that doesn't mean that sex or food is inherently wrong. He says, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. He insists, everything God created is good. And we come to know this through spending time with him, developing our relationship with him, spending time in his word that he has written us. So we do the hard work of study and reflection and meditation and discussion on this. Our temptation is always going to be to try to avoid the things that are difficult and complex. And God never gives us that option. Um, here's a good example. Because um, we've got, got some parents in here where their daughters are kind of getting to junior high age. Uh, imagine you've got a daughter who's, who's reaching junior high age, hitting, hitting puberty. And suddenly, you know, she has all these changes happening in her body. And she's being noticed in ways she wasn't noticed before. And she noticed she's being noticed in ways she wasn't noticed before. And her parents noticed she's being noticed in ways she hasn't before. And like, ah, what are we going to do with, with, with this here? And so parents have to talk about this to their teenage daughter. If they indulge one way, if they take her out to the store and let her buy, like, you know, all the clothes that barely cover the baby making parts and everything's hanging out in all these places, what they're doing is they're encouraging her to draw as much attention to her body as, her can, as she can, and they're encouraging her to live like an animal. But if they ignore all these changes and hope it just goes away, we'll lock her in a closet and one day we'll let her out when she's 40 and everything will be okay, they're sending an equally destructive message when they say, here, wear the moo-moo, because they're treating her like an angel. Her sexuality, her body, her beauty, they're all good things. They were given to her by God. And her parents must embrace this and all that comes along with that. They have to teach her how to embrace these things in an honorable and dignified way that brings glory to God. Like the girl in the Song of Solomon when she says, I was a wall. I worshipped God. I lived in a way I was supposed to because it brought honor to Him. And yet they kept saying how beautiful she was. Parents must live in tension and teach their children how to do the same thing. In 1 Timothy, Paul addresses the religious group with their narrow restrictive lists because they're claiming that they are working for God's purposes when they are working against God's purposes in the world. Things that God has made, things that are good, things God created for people to be enjoyed were being ignored and avoided because this, these religious people refuse to live in, in freedom and tension. And tension. Uh, you know, again, the impulse in our world 
when we're faced with tension is to come up with seven steps or the formula of I'll read the book and then all the tension will go away. But that's not how it works. One of the marks of someone who has grown deeper in their relationship with Christ is someone who is able to live in the midst of the tension and still honor God with everything they do. And this, again, is one of the reasons why we push gospel community so hard at Element. Because we believe that the community God has given us enables us to live in the midst of this tension. The Hebrew word for confess literally means to cast or to throw out. You, you just get it out there. In a gospel community, you, you realize you're not alone. Whatever you struggle with, whatever you have questions about, you are not alone. It doesn't matter how dark a place is. It doesn't matter how much shame or weakness or regret that you have. You are never alone. We have cravings and desires and urges and temptations that can consume us. They make us feel helpless in its presence. And yet God gives us the gift of himself and each other to come alongside each other to make sure we can live how he calls us to live. God God reconciles the world to himself and reconciles you and I to each other. And the moment you are struggling with something and you find somebody else that you're in community with that says, I struggle with that or I've struggled with that and this is what I did, all of a sudden you have great relief because someone can walk through it with you. In Scripture, angels and animals are both created before humans. In the first chapter of Genesis, you are told that God creates everything out of chaos. It's out of, out of formlessness and, and void. The earth was foremost and void, and God brings order into that. Each thing God creates is a motion and a step and a progression away from chaos and disorder towards order and harmony and relationship with him. And so when God makes mankind, the first thing he does with mankind is he commands them to be involved in the continuation of ordering and caring for and the ongoing progression away from chaos into relationship with him. You're to tend the garden. You're to name the animals. You're to take care of your children. And you're supposed to populate the earth. And he gives them this command. God's intent in creating people was for them to continue the work with him by his great grace of creating the rest of the world. And move it away from chaosness and, and formlessness towards order and harmony and good in His grace, stewarding things under His care. And we will take creation somewhere. The question is where. We see where we've taken it today. Because either we're going to act in ways that move the world away from chaos, or we're going to contribute to ways that just continue to push the chaos forward. And I don't know if you can see where I'm going trying to end the Song of Solomon with this. But creation begins and people are created after animals. From the rest of Scripture, you learn that people were created after angels. And the order is significant because the movement in creation is towards greater and greater harmony, order, beauty, and relationship with God. Angels are here before us. Animals are here before us. And when we act like angels or animals, we're acting like things that were created before us. We're not acting like God created us to be. You're going backward. How we act is going to determine the type of world God calls us to steward. And this is why we talk about this at the end of the Song of Solomon. Because we need to live for something better. My admonition to you is that you and I need to live for Christ in His name. Showing the world how God made redeemed people to live. Because when we begin to live that way, people will see what it was meant to look like to truly live in humanity. This is why we tell you, sex is not God. Yes, people have given their money to it and their time to it. They worship it through pictures and magazines, but that's treating it like an animal does. And yes, people look at it and say, oh, well, sex is dirty and nasty and gross, but that's trying to treat it like an angel does. Sex is simply a gift given by God to his people to steward, to enjoy, in the context of marriage, to share, to be treasured, cultivated, saved, and given in marriage. And this is how God intended humanity to live. This comes from a great God to help move humanity forward. 
so that we would glorify and honor him in all that we do. It's this tension. It's the tension that we live in. That he gives us great strength and great hope to live in that. So as we end the Song of Solomon today, that's what I want you guys to leave with. You must live as a redeemed humanity. This is why we invite you guys to communion every single week because communion is where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I so we can live as a redeemed humanity truly partnering with God again and creating a culture that honors and glorifies him. The band's going to come up. They're going to do one song. And they're doing a wedding because I think I can think of no better way than to close out the Song of Solomon with a wedding. And so... Uh, we, we don't want to like, rush you through this. But, you know, whatever. All right. Um, there will be some deacons and elders in the back if you need prayer. Uh, if you, if you uh, want to give, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We do not pass the plate. We believe that giving is meant to be a response to what God has done in us. And so that's why we put the offering boxes there. Uh, and then, again... Be here for the wedding. When the wedding's over, there's going to be cupcakes and stuff in the back. You can hang out and be like, woo, it's a wedding. And you don't go all crazy because, oh, it's a wedding and a reception. I'm going to go crazy. That's, that's not what you do. That's acting like an animal. You, know, you act like God created. I've been there. I've seen it. You live like redeemed humanity is meant to live. Ways that honor him in fellowship and community and hope. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, we do thank you for being a God who loves us the way that you do, who offers us hope and reconciliation. Father, we ask that we would be those who live in a way that the rest of the world can understand how we were originally meant to live, how we were meant to reflect your great glory to continue the progression to greater relationship with you that we would begin to love how you love and give how you give and serve how you serve. Now, we wouldn't run from the tension you call us to live in, but we would simply run towards your strength and your hope so we can live in that tension. And that all that we are would truly reflect who you are and your amazing grace and your amazing love to us. Thank you for breaking the chains that have held us down for so long and setting us free. Amen.